know, this account uh, cannot be verified because uh, those who experienced it besides myself are mostly deceased or missing. But for reasons that will become apparent later, I have decided to document the occurrences of October and be done with it once and for all. Now it all began when we had heard rumor of strange bones or petrified remains of some primeval type creatures up in the dusty soils that are proximal to Cattle Butte. Cattle Butte is, uh, as many know, about 14 mile or one day's ride outside of Buckskin on the upper slopes. But the soil there has been eroded away by the creek in such a fashion as to expose older layers of sediment and with these sediments, as we had heard, strange objects from faraway times. Now normally I'm not prone to believe or be interested in tales of this sort, nor do I have any curiosity about the ancient past, seeing as how it can levy no power against the more important present. But my employer, Mr. McCormick, had become fascinated with the concept of discovering some as-of-yet-unknown creature in those loose sediments, and so decided to wage an expedition up to the area and excavate for discoveries of possible now, I was compelled to not only join but lead this excavation uh, under, of course, the persuasion of salary, as I was at that time in the employ of Mr. McCormick. So, with 25 men, we made our way up and stage, complete with a kit of shovels, tripod cranes, and large wooden crates for returning whatever we may find, and in Mr. McCormick's opinion, that would be some wildly fantastic skull or fossilized backbone, some creature we had not ever seen with human eyes. Now, either way, we made our way up to Cattle Butte, and after four days had come up empty-handed. That was all the time that we had, and so we had packed up and decided to depart. To no terrible perturbance of Mr. McCormick, considering the whole operation had only put us back some of $74 and a few men's salaries. So it was a uh, more of an outing at that point. But purely by chance, one of my workmen during the packing of the tents and supplies had stumbled over some loose stones, revealing some kind of empty cavity there in the rock. And when the presentation of torchlight was added to this oubliette, there was revealed what later came to be called the object. And little did I know, but this object would be the undoing of our party. Now, my employer became fascinated with this strange artifact and had it immediately crated. And we took our stage and full complement of men to the nearest town, which, of course, is Buckskin. Despite hearing that their population had recently been decreased by a series of unfortunate events... We made for Buckskin and decided to consider our options in the safety of small town, rather than out on the exposed slopes of Cattle Butte. Now the trip to Buckskin was mostly uneventful until two of the men were afflicted with some kind of sickness. We had guessed that the road simply had worn them out and the labors of the excavation that they had taken cold or flu. And so a night of warm stew and a few 
Whiskies, they'd be fine by morning. But we couldn't have been more wrong. After that first night, more than half my complement, 14 men in all, had succumbed to some kind of condition or affliction or infection. I've seen many things in my day as a hired man, but nothing like this. The men afflicted before they perished, which was within 24 hours, were changed in the strangest and most horrible ways. The fingers would elongate into root-like structures or damp twigs. The legs would emaciate and shrink, leaving behind nothing more than skin and bone, looking like a squirrel on a spit with knobby knees that gave you the shivers. Their faces would sink in, their eyes roll back in their head, and their jaws would go slack, and they could break their bone just as easily as you could break a toothpick. They became brittle, and soon afterward would expire. Now, the more men succumbed to this, we decided we need to get the hell out of buckskin. But my employer dissuaded our plan. He had become convinced that the object must remain in buckskin and we must remain with it. But I came to the decision that my upstanding employment with Mr. McCormick and the fine reputation I had earned in his employ was worth far less than my life. And so on that third night, I decided to depart buckskin with no proper announcement or resignation. A yellow-bellied move, but... I saw no other option. So by moonlight, I slung my pack, and I only made one mistake. As I was leaving Buckskin, that small mountain town, I looked back. And there I saw the last thing I really can remember. It's not that my memory has become faulty, but that image, it's become... All I see. Three men in all, Mr. McCormick among them, the two next to him lurching forward as if to grab me, to stop my egress from that cursed town, that damned object. The man on the left, his name was Higgins, I shot him in the face. The man on the right managed to wrap one of his elongated, spider-like hands around my arm and his flesh was cold as ice. The him I shoved back and gave him a bowie knife in the belly. And this was more than he could endure, and he fell backwards. But Mr. McCormick, well, he was a good 20 paces back, well out of reach, and far slower than I, for he had succumbed to that same affliction. His fingers, they were pale as spring carrots, wet, wiggly, two, three feet long each finger. His legs was just pale yellow sticks. And that I could endure, but the face. His cheeks had sunken into such a point as you could see the teeth below the skin. The eyes had rolled so back into the head, they were just empty sockets. And poor Mr. McCormick's mouth, his jawbone now broken, was crawling with black roots, sprigs of twig, worms or 
tadpoles of some kind flopping out now and again. I'll never forget that face, no matter how hard I try. It's all that occupies my current and repeating nightmares. Now I made my escape, but I had to document these things for legal purposes. But whatever justice Red Rock County will deem necessary to be delivered unto me for my untimely resignation, and those two men I left in the dirt, well, that justice will have to be delivered posthumously. For tonight I'm going to end the nightmares by hanging myself by the neck. I leave no family behind, no kinfolk, and so I see no wrongdoing here. But for my part, I apologize. And the main purpose of this letter, if you're reading this, whoever you may be, do not go to Buckskin. Do not seek out that strange object. Just let it sleep. Let the damn thing sleep and slide back into the darkness of the earth where it belongs. Signed, Pat Martins. Greetings, programs. Welcome back to Runehamon, the podcast that is bound to last. The RPG mainframe here on Runehammer. And you're joined this evening by none other than Ingrid Bernal, your host on another journey into deep thinking for the RPG hobbyist of discerning taste. <laughs> hey guys, it's old Ingrid Bernal here. I'm back once again. It's episode 46. Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the RPG Mainframe. It's your old buddy Ingrid Bernal here. And the point of today's episode, today's Mainframe, I was trying to capture in that frightening little ghost story there. And it's all about the usefulness of lethality. Now, in the story, toward the end, those two sort of afflicted, mutated guys are coming after Hat, right? He spins around, he shoots one guy in the face, stabs the other guy in the gut, and they both drop. There's not a lot of complexity to it. And to me, this sort of feel or this sort of moment solves so many different questions that come my way about running the game and as well as modifying games and, you know, hacking and homebrewing. And so I wanted to bring all these sort of disparate angled questions all down to the same answer, which is this answer of instant lethality. Now, on the, the lowest level, uh, Ghost Mountain itself has, you know, the modified firearms rules, which are built to create some instant lethality, right? You get shot, you make a con roll, and if you fail the con roll, you drop to zero HP, right? So that, that just takes firearms completely out of the normal damage curve that we're working with in the game, in many games, honestly. But it still sort of beats around the bush a little bit in not really revolutionizing the experience that so much, so many of us have with sort of chipping away at hit points. And chipping away at hit points can be really fun. You know, in Chrono Trigger, I, some of the later monsters, they have, you know, 40,000 HP. And you're chipping away, and every once in a while you'll get like a, you know, a 1,200 
damage hit on those guys. And that whole experience can be fun. So I don't mean to say that just like we must do away with chipping away at XP or HP, sorry. <laughs> but what I do want to suggest is that in a lot of cases, tons of HP being chipped away at is not the solution at all. Now, in the past, I've discussed a lot, especially on YouTube, about the way to make encounters more deadly is not to add hit points. Hit points actually prolong battle, and the longer you give players to figure things out, the easier the battle is. This is what's somewhat uh, counterintuitive that I want to suggest here in the Speed of Lethality podcast, is that it may seem counterintuitive, but you actually, the most dangerous encounters are very rapid and have very extreme spikes of damage. Now, often as game masters, we find ourselves wanting to beef up an encounter, right? Our players are almost always more resourceful and more powerful and well-equipped and more strategic than we anticipate. Now, that's not always the case because sometimes the dice turn against them. But all of you guys who have run games out there know how this feels. You set up this cool enemy. You think it's going to be, you know, very dramatic, very exciting. Players cruise in. They use good tactics. They use their gear to, to advantage. One of them gets, you know, a high cast roll on like a level four spell or something to this effect. Delivers, you know, 40, 50 damage in a single hit. You don't really have a legitimate way you've written down to resist this attack. And so you just have to be honest, there goes your monster. And there's like almost no deadliness and it's quite shocking. Now, on the one hand, this is a fun case because it is fun sometimes for the players to experience sudden lethality from their side. I'm suddenly lethal. I'm rapidly lethal. Ooh, I feel cool. Okay, we do want that to happen in the game sometimes. But on the flip side of things, I think it happens extremely rarely which is that the bad guys have this similar or even greater capability of sudden lethality than the players do. Now, this whole topic, before I find myself off in the weeds, has arisen because of several different questions, as I mentioned, that came from different angles, but that I think all have the same answer. And one of those is we were talking on Discord about someone's encounter where there were several monsters and each monster had 178 hit points. And it took the players some time to whittle through all this and, you know, get through it and, and win the day. And then on the other hand, we had a discussion going of like, how can I just get things to move more quickly, just make things more fluid without walking away from my home system, which may be Pathfinder or 5e or what have you. To me, these are similar sort of stories or issues or challenges that are coming up. And then, of course, I'm working on some new game designs myself, and I'm facing a lot of these same questions about how almost all these games, like tons of games that I'm looking for or looking at, they all boil down to whittling away hit points. Like all of these different mechanics and interesting systems and innovative story settings and equipment and all this stuff, it all boils down to whittling away at hit points. So then I started looking around. I'm just thinking, you know, what games don't do that? And I think chess is a really good example of one. Chess, the lethality is so extreme that to even put a piece in harm's way is to assume it's destroyed. And this became sort of really fascinating to me, not only as a game designer, but as someone who's often answering these types of questions 
or challenges in other game masters who are sort of asking me, you know, what do you think I should do here? And so what I want to propose is, is wander with me for a little while into a space to consider some sudden lethality and fun ways that maybe we can get it into our games. So the first one is one that I think actually is a little bit overlooked in index card RPG, but it is the firearm rule for uh, Ghost Mountain. You get shot, you make a con roll, or you drop to zero HP. It's extremely simple, but I think there's a lot of hesitation in Game Masters to use this on a bad guy. So, uh, you know, a long time ago, we had this encounter where I had basically a sniper, a guy with a rifle hiding in the rocks. You don't know where he is, and he's picking off players. Now, this seems... This seems really kind of mean, right? It seems almost like you're trolling your players as a GM, but you're not trolling your players. This is the kind of situation where role play is going to come alive. And so what I want to suggest for my first sort of point here about lethality is at first it's going to seem quite cruel to think about sudden lethality in your NPCs. And there might even be some sort of scary moments there where you get some dropped players unexpectedly. But what I would like to suggest to you is hold your courage as a game master to do this every once in a while because the dividends or the rewards from this kind of stuff are deep role play. Sometimes the coolest role play can happen actually because a player is killed. And I don't mean dropped to zero HP. I mean perma-killed. Sometimes that moment can bring a group together, can bring someone out of the closet with their role-playing in a way. You know, I've, I've definitely done this. Hell, I've been playing forever, but I do sometimes get in a game where I'm not quite sure what my position is to role-play. I'm not quite sure what it is that I'm kind of doing in the group or, or what I represent, how to can it into a one-liner. And so my sort of adaptive response is that I kind of shell up a little bit and I say a little bit less and I'm a little bit less fun for my, for my homies. But sometimes a player death can bring the reality of the mechanics of the game back to the forefront in such a uh, undeniable way. It can bring out your sort of almost like funeral behavior as far as your role play goes. Now, remember, we're talking about fantasy characters, so it doesn't have to be creepy and macabre and scary. <laughs> you can mourn a heroic character, especially in an adventurous setting, with a positive attitude that says, let's keep fighting and let's keep going, right? And, and to me, that's how, in this particular case, I found sort of a new foothold in my role play. Now, one key thing here, and this was uh, in my old death video too, is that if you're going to employ some of this sudden death stuff as a game master, be ready to just be really confident with it. You know, if, if, you, if you let them see you sweat, it can seem a little creepy <laughs> to the players that you're not totally confident about these mechanics. So just go all in. Now, secondly, the next thing I want to talk about. So the first one was like, go ahead and try letting your NPCs play with something like the Ghost Mountain firearm rule. Now, the second one I want to suggest is to keep your enemy hit points as low as you can stomach. So if if they're supposed to, or if on your gut, they're supposed to be about 100 hit points, take it down to something more like 20. And experiment with creating monsters that have lots of tricks, not lots of hit points. And this can include lethal defenses. This is my next item, lethal defenses. 
And lethal defenses can be very, very dangerous because players tend to be attackers. They tend to be aggressive. It's just like Stephen Curry said, I don't want to defend the title. I want to get the title. (laughs) In a lot of cases, I think that's how players see themselves. They are aggressors. They are going to go get what they want. And if there's something in the way, they're going to smash it. So since that's their most common, in some ways, default behavior, you have them at a bit of a disadvantage as the game master looking to design a monster that's truly threatening, truly difficult, or exciting. You use their attack weight, as you would say in Aikido, against them. You let them fall into your defenses as they attack. So what could these defenses be? Well, one of the classic ones that a stubborn from Roll for Effort embodied with such skill is spiked armor. This may seem so simple, but what I want to do is just bring it into the forefront of your imagination. Spiked armor is not something you see on a lot of NPCs, but why not? It's fantastic. Whether or not a player succeeds in their attack, any time melee is joined with this creature, it deals out damage. And if you want to make it nasty, it deals out nasty damage. So, you can put defenses on your NPC that are lethal, and then bolster these defenses with what I like to call threshold defenses. Because remember, we have a low hit point monster here. We don't want to track 178 hit points. We want to track 20. And that means this may be a fight that is pivoting upon one or two attacks getting through the defenses and it's going to be over. So how do you make that exciting? This is where we get to bolstering these defenses. So on the one hand, you have lethal defenses, but then on the other hand, you have what I call threshold defenses. A threshold defense basically says, you're going to need to hit me X hard if you even want to touch me. So it's often called damage resistance. Um, But this is basically, yeah, you guys are hitting me, but it's kind of going clang, 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 zap, 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 clang, zap, zap, clang. And what this is going to produce is a wearing down of your players, as far as their resources, without you tracking a million numbers in your book. But it's going to be a similar effect. The players are going to start looking at one another and saying, how can we muster a bigger attack? So the same effect in a lot of ways is occurring, which is that time is happening at the table. So in the simple model, time is happening at the table because players are whittling away at a large amount of hit points. While the the, uh, NPC or the enemy is doing the same thing to them. But in this model, players are engaged in combat, doing no damage, and time is passing as they build, devise, or discover a way to overcome this threshold. But let's say in the first model, it takes them six rounds of doing damage to eliminate all the hit points, and you have this huge mess in your journal where you marked off all the subtractions. In the second version, six rounds pass in combat in which the players find the gunpowder barrel in the corner of the room, which can do enough damage to break these defenses, all the while engaging this monster in combat. So you see, you're still getting your six-round battle, but there's such a different feel to things. Now, like all principles that I present, remember, variety is the king. So you don't want to make every monster like this. These kinds of defenses can be 
somewhat tooth grinding to players. So you don't want to hit one after the next after the next. You need your mooks, you need your minions, and you need your bosses, right? So variety is still the spice of life. So that's my second one. First one, consider lethality. Just go for it. Be confident. Give your NPCs these capabilities. Third or second one, threshold defenses and lethal defenses. This is setting your NPC up to be able to fight five badass characters. If that's what you're looking for, setting them up to really be a challenge that makes players take a step back. Anytime players take a step back or take cover or sort of, you know, fall back to reconnoiter and reconsider their options, that's going to be a great battle. When they just tend to plow, unless it's just a bunch of sort of goblin mooks, that tends to work out not so satisfying, in my humble opinion. Okay, so now the third one is something that we always talk about, but I think is very often forgotten. Ye old environment. Nothing can do more sudden lethal, exciting damage than ye old environment. And not only on the enemy side, also on the player's side. For example, the gunpowder barrel. The gunpowder barrel is actually a great example because that is an environmental element that is usable by either the enemy or the players. So you could imagine an extremely long space with this gunpowder barrel at the end and them racing to reach it first to use it against the other one. But if they're too proximal to each other, it's a useless weapon because of the explosion, right? And so there's a lot of spatial fascination in something like a massive explosion and who can kick it off, who can place it, who can time it. But then you have things like rooms filling with water, swarms of insects, right? All your classics, can rip through with a sudden lethality. And if you want to go right back to point number one, just make the swarm of insects, it rips through the players, and anybody who misses the con save drops to zero HP as these things pluck your eye out and rip your lips off and eat your hand, and these things are gnarly. It's like creepers back from the 80s. So you savagely employ the environment to bring this lethality to battle. Now, remember, why are we doing this? Are we just doing this because we're jerks? No, we're looking for A, speed. We want battles to go faster because of some of these questions coming my way. And two, we want to press the fear, the excitement, and the adrenaline that comes with true danger in your game to drive deeper role-playing. So the environment. This is an old point. I don't need to belabor it. It's just a reminder. Don't forget to employ that environment to create speed and deadliness in your battles. Now, the final one is a bit of a complex one to track, but if you can get uh, the hang of this and get the habit of it, it'll get easier over time. And this is what I sort of like to call the the rogue principle. So (laughs) what I mean by rogue is as in the X-Men superhero, who her capability was to steal other uh, superheroes' powers, right? The reason I want to call it that is that I think a great step you can take in equipping your bad guys to not only be lethal, but to be fast in their combat, is to equip them with capability that is equal, equal, truly equal to your players. Now, there's some tricks to do this. So let's say your players are casting level four arcane missile. So they're doing 48 plus their bonus, right? This is a pretty heavy hitting. This is one of the the simplest way to get a heavy hitting, um, you know, magic attack 
You know, it's going to cost four HP, which is easily healable. It's 48, which can be very low damage, but can at roll with a high roll can be extremely high damage. Just give that spell to your bad guy. Just hand it to him. You saw it earlier in the game. You make a little note for yourself in your journal. This guy now has, he can cast this power four arcane missile, right? And it costs him a few hit points. Oh, and oh man, you know, my players have that crazy moss of ages or they have a repair spider or, you know, they have these kind of trickle heals. Okay, well, so does my bad guy. He heals six HP every round. You know, and so what you want to do is take, take the capabilities that your players have and just directly bolt them right onto your bad guy and then be even more gnarly by just simplifying it. Remove things like HP cost or remove variability. Like if a, a player is regenerating 1d6 per uh, per round with their trickle heal, then your bad guy just recovers six per round. You see, just remove your dice rolls. Don't make yourself bogged down with the complexity that players might feel. But you're stealing exactly comparable capabilities from your players. This will create this, again, this wide-eyed moment. Now think about it. Even though this is easy to accept theoretically, you're thinking, oh yeah, Mr. Burnall, that makes good sense. I think it's actually quite rare that we actually do this as game masters. And I think the 48 magic missile is a perfect example. You see players hitting your, your cool banshee character with this 48 magic missile all the time. But how often do you just shock them with this 48 and then you roll high? So you get like 30 damage on this thing. Potentially blowing a character to smithereens in a single hit. This is heavy-duty business. But if it's on the horizon, it's going to create good effects in your game. And if you're clever, you can do the final point I wanted to mention about sudden lethality, which is foreshadow the lethality. You can foreshadow it. You can hint that it's coming. You can have your NPC use this explosive arcane missile to destroy a minion that he's angry with or to shatter a doorway or to blow a statue apart or to, I, I don't know, but he demonstrates it. She demonstrates it. It demonstrates it. And so you get a foreshadowing of like, oh my God, this guy is freaking crazy, right? There's a lot of different techniques you can do to imply the power or deadliness of an NPC and it's even sometimes more fun to do that than to actually reveal it. The implication creates the fear. And sometimes the fear in a player's mind is even bigger than the reality. So you get that same result again, taking cover, pulling back to retreat and reconsider, uh, being afraid. These are all moments that are going to lead to great role playing. Or in an extreme case, someone being blown to smithereens and that creating role playing, creating vengeance, creating sadness, creating regret creating self-examination. Now, these are the real dividends we're looking for as game masters. And I believe that sudden lethality in its multiple forms and delivered with nuance and with variety. You know, some battles you just want four goblins and you tear them to shreds and keep moving. But those encounters, we tend to have an easy time with as game masters. Those, those are pretty much meat and potatoes. I think it's still bosses and real high challenge characters that are always difficult to, to tune 
just right to get that feel that you're sort of dreaming up in your mind. And so I hope that this discussion about sudden lethality can help you guys improve some of those sort of more extreme enemy moments that you're looking to create. And just because I'm crazy, I packaged the whole thing in Ghost Mountain. Just imagining that these poor Ghost Mountain buggers had discovered a mainframe in some little cave. That gave me some shivers that felt very good. The good shivers. The good frightened. <laughs> so that's all I got for today. Just wanted to break down some points on finding ways to get lethality in your game that may seem crazy at first, but just go for it and watch the fun unfold. Okay, everybody. So, hey, thanks for tuning in. This has been RPG Mainframe. I'm Ingrid Bernal. I'll see you guys on the internet. Strength, a honor, and a beer. Lo, 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 lo.